look here i have my own journal i love it um this was a setup that has helped me for the past five years of um just the three things that are important to me not the to-do list but something that really matters something that i'm grateful for something that i'm proud of something that i dream of and something that i pray for something simple but effective and I just hope that it will help somebody out there no matter their journey you can find my journal at lifewithfrancy.com slash shop the link will be in the description of the episode hello and welcome to life with Francie podcast a place where you will find all kinds of conversation like mental health self-love self-care trauma hobbies and more with this podcast I want to create a place where we support one another in business and personal personal life. Hope you enjoy this episode. Now, let's get the show started. On today's episode, I have the pleasure to talk to Douglas again. <laughs> so long story short, I had him uh, a couple months earlier and he had left the pot match community, which is amazing. And I always talk about it on my podcast, but then I couldn't find his profile. So I didn't have any information about him and we did the interview and it was great it was really it was really a good interview but uh some of uh, mental health stuff came up and I was like oh my gosh my podcast is about mental health so like can you come back <laughs> so now welcome Douglas again to the show tell us what is life with you well it's great to be back first of all am I gonna get my hands on one of those journals because uh every morning I do those things and that's part of my kind of ritual. Well, I'll say six out of seven days. I take Saturday to sleep in. But but this is also a mental health conversation too, because I got to a point where I was doing those things every morning and it was taking longer and longer and longer. The list was getting longer and longer and longer mm -hmm. that I had to wake up earlier and earlier and earlier to make sure I could complete the list and my morning routine before my daughter woke up. Oh my and then God. it was like, I'm waking up at 4.30 in the morning and I feel awful all day and I'm stressed out and I'm exhausted. So at what point do you balance these really helpful tools with making sure you're also getting the rest you need and kind of living that healthy lifestyle that you need physically? So it was a, a good conversation I had to have with myself. But yeah, I love that. And that's why I do a night routine instead of a morning routine, because mm. the male lady got to go. So yeah. she wakes up, she takes a shower and she's out the door. But then to detox from everything during the day, then I grab my journals, which I have my book bag right next to me with a bunch of notebooks. And then each journal is themed <clears throat> because that's how my brain works, where I have to separate everything. So I have my gratitude, forgiveness, blah, 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 blah. So I love that. But um, you have a book out and I just want to know a little bit more about your story before we get into all of this. That you 100%. Mentioned. Yeah. Uh, my book, Life Between Seconds, came out November of 2022. Uh, it actually comes out in paperback early 2024. So we're kind of right in between those things. Yep. But the book itself was actually this really great observation of myself on one, how to write a book, what it takes. So if anybody wants to be a writer out there, Writing is simple, but not easy. And it was a great teacher for me on how to get in touch with authentic emotion that I may have ignored or may have misunderstood before that. 
And the story is about a 20-something American guy and a 70-something Argentinian woman and the friendship they create while running from their nightmares. And then when the nightmares kind of show up in San Francisco where they're living, they have to decide, are they going to run again or are they going to face their nightmares together? right, with that friendship to kind of bolster their strengths. And part of it was, there's a lot of it about how intergenerational intergenerational trauma affected me and kind of was able to instill the character through that. A lot of it is about the fears that I had, but through the lens of my parents, mm. right? For instance, with Sophia, who's in her 70s and lost her daughter, that's not a spoiler alert, you learn that very quickly, uh, loses her daughter during the Dirty War, the Argentinian Dirty War in the 1970s and 80s. Kind of looking at that, what would my mom do if she was waiting for me to come home and I never did? How would that affect her? And now as a, and I wrote this when I was in my 20s and I didn't have a kid. Now as a father, I have a four-year-old daughter, just, I'm like, I could not write this book now. It would, it would be too hard for me to write this book now. I'm tearing up thinking about, you know, what if my daughter never came home? And it's it's so much more difficult, but I'm glad that I was able to put myself in the mental space I needed to be in to connect with that character. She's one of the favorite characters I've ever written uh, because of that. And so there's this whole just journey on, you know, what space was I in mentally, how it helped, how it hurt, and but also this beautiful this beautiful artwork that I was able to put out in the world because of it. I love that. And like I said, the first time, <laughs> just the brain, how your brain works, you know, to put that. Cause I asked you some questions about uh, like fiction, cause I'm interested and you planted the seed where I'm working on my own, you know, not for publishing yet, not for publishing yet, but just something to have a story because there's a story inside of me like I wants to come out. Um, but yeah, how do you do that to like have the balance of writing the story and you uh, how you get to know the characters? Yeah, well, it's definitely different now than when I was in my 20s. When I was in my 20s, I could sit in a coffee shop for four or five hours on my day off because I was working... How many people in their 20s work three, four jobs just to pay the rent, right? I was working three jobs and doing grad school while living in San Francisco at the time, the most expensive city in the country. And so it was just massive. I'd had one day off from work where I don't have anything. And I would just sit in a coffee shop all day and just write, like power through everything. But by the end of that day, I was mentally exhausted. I kind of crawl back into my hole of an apartment. And I really do mean a hole. The thing was, a box with a bathroom. I didn't even have a kitchen in the apartment. Uh, but it worked. It worked for what it, you know, for what it was for. You gotta love your twenties. You can, <laughs> yeah, live right. When you, you can put up with anything. <laughs> yeah. Put up with anything in your twenties. Really, I could have eaten cardboard for a week and been fine in my twenties. But uh, so it, it was. It was this real drive to tell this story because the connections that I made in my head were I was. I'm a. I love to travel. I spent a long time traveling before I ever started writing this book. So I was in Buenos Aires in Argentina and I see the Madres de la Plaza de Mayo, which are a collection of mothers marching in the main square in front of the presidential palace, holding up signs. So they're silent. They're not chanting. They're not striking, but they're holding up signs or pictures demanding to know what happened to their children or their brothers or their fathers during the dirty work because they were taken their 
you know, these family members were deemed dissidents and then taken away. And there's no information on what happened to them. Are they dead? Are they alive? Were they, there's a, you know, a history that's come out along uh, lately, especially, I think it was a movie called 1986. It won an Academy Award for Best Foreign Film this year. And it's basically about this topic of children being abducted by the government in Argentina specifically and being given to high ranking members of the political party. And then that those members raise the children as their own. And then the parents are disappeared. And so there's so people are still demanding. They still don't know about this. And now even grandchildren are involved, right? To demand what happened to my parent, like the, the people that were still around. So it's it just inspired me. It shocked me. I knew nothing or little about it at the time. And then talking with them, seeing them march, learning more about the story of it, I created the character Sophia. And then I was in Mexico City and I went to Frida Kahlo's house, which is now a museum. And she had two clocks resting in her kitchen and one was stopped on the time that she divorced Diego Rivera and one was stopped on the time that she remarried Diego Rivera and I was so in love with that concept of stopping clocks on really impactful moments that these memory or these ideas kind of coalesced into well what if I write this and, and she's feeling this and he's feeling this and he does this and she does this and the story just just like you said you have this story that wants to come out and that was a story that started building and I needed to share it even though I didn't necessarily have a beginning or an ending I just had these two people and this understanding of they meet there's a friendship and what does that look like I love that. And then you had mentioned uh, traveling. Yeah. That you do, you involve that as well. Uh, sorry, you threw me off again because like I already know so much about you and I try to act like I, you know, like I really don't know anything about my guests, but this, this time, this is just like, hey, man, we're just catching up. But no. Right. <laughs> yeah, tell us that you involve that traveling as well. Yeah, well, I was, uh, I lived in Europe in college, I took a year and I lived in Italy. And so for the whole year, I was there. And I just if, if anybody's traveled, whether it's across state lines or out of the country, you have this sense of awe and appreciation. And that was the big thing I felt that and so the travel bug bit me. And it was just how can I continue to have that sense of awe wherever I go. And this is actually part of the problem with travel. I have a history of of depression. So especially in high school, it was really bad. But then in college, it, I would have these really high highs and really low lows. And I still do. But part of that comes from chasing that dragon, that that sense of awe that you feel when you first arrive in some place, and everything is new, and everything is exciting. And then all of a sudden, it drops. And then you feel that, that sense of dread or displacement. And, and then you're like, Oh, no, and then you don't want to get out of bed or talk to anybody for a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I lived in Europe. I came back. I needed to travel more. I finished college and I was like, okay, I'm going to travel again. So I took another year and I just kept traveling. I just went East. I just kept going until I got back to the States. And then I would, and then I had that sense of dread again. I had no direction. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I still didn't have this understanding that I could be a writer and that could be a career as opposed to needing to work in a bank, which is it's not a problem for people who want to work in a bank. It just wasn't for me. I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know what I could do. So then I went to South America and then 
I moved to San Francisco and then I went to Africa because again, I just, like, how am I going to do it all? And and there's so much I want to see, but what if I settle down and all these things, but then I would, I would have these high highs of going there and exploring and seeing all these incredible things and meeting all these incredible people and learning so many new things. And then I'd fall back into that low space and have to figure out, well, what's next? What am I doing? How do I bring myself out of this space? And it has a term, it's usually termed reverse culture shock when it's like you go there and you have the culture shock of being in that space and it's so new and so different where it can give you that sense of awe, but it can also give you that sense of rejection or sadness and then coming back to the familiar. And then all of a sudden that sense of awe is just ripped away. But I tried to channel that into the writing, right? So like traveling to South America and going to Buenos Aires and seeing the Madres de la Plaza de Mayo or... I became a travel writer and trying to channel all of my experiences and do articles and essays or information for people to, to have and to understand so they can do the thing that I did. So writing is not just a creative outlet for me. It's also a way for me to kind of deal with my, my mental health. Uh, yeah. Do you want to share a little bit more about your story uh, when it comes to your mental health journey? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely call it a journey because it just seems mm -hmm. never ending, right? And and that's okay. It, I think part of that journey for me is that appreciation, not feeling like there's a finish line. It's it's a constant, like it's not a hamster wheel, right? But it, there is a constant ebb and flow, more like a tide, I guess, it goes in and goes out. Yep. And so I was, uh, I think I was 12 or 13 when I like really understood that I had depression. And at the time there was a lot going on, a lot of family changes. My mom was diagnosed with cancer and she's healthy now. It's been 23 oh years, 24 years. Yeah. Wow. Which is great. But especially at the time, late nineties, early two thousands, like I'm not saying this in a good way, but nowadays it seems like every, everybody definitely has been touched by cancer in some way, right? You mm -hmm. or someone, you know, a friend, a family member, but it also feels a little less because of that it feels a little less scary. I I think now than 20 some odd years yeah, ago, yeah, like 27 years ago, it's like, Oh no, like that means it's the end wave goodbye. And that, and that was terrifying. And and cancer still is terrifying now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not diminishing that. Right. But, um, but so it was around that time. And then all of the hormones and all of the chemical changes in my brain, because I was a, becoming a teenager. Right. And then all of these things are, are mixing and I don't know what's going on and I'm just not able to really focus in school. I'm, I'm having behavioral issues against teachers and I just couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure any of it out. And looking back, that's normal for a teenager, right? But it came with this then other utter sense of inability to cope, inability to move, inability to make decisions. And that's what my low lows look like. And so I'm a very friendly person. I'm very gregarious. I love talking to people. I love going out into the world. I mean, our conversation, I hope people hear it. Like we, it's like catching up with an old friend, even though we've only had one other chat. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that's part of it is I'll have these really high highs and these really social, these great social interactions. And then, you know, the next day I might sink into bed and I can't do anything. And so there's still this, this balance that I have to remind myself of, of, of give myself grace, give myself time, give myself the ability to recuperate, 
knowing that I can't just force myself, which is a lot harder now when, when I have a kid. Right. So it's my, my wife and I, like, we know when it's coming and mm-hmm. I feel it and we kind of discuss, but sometimes that's not an option, right? She has to go to an office. She has to go to the office. I work from home. I take my daughter to school. I pick her up on those days. I have to get myself out of bed, no matter how hard it is. And sometimes it is, yeah, I just want to take the bed with me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, I get that. I yeah. get that. <laughs> I, I carry a blanket, like literally, if I'm like really, really bad to go to my friend's house or whatever, I will grab my pillow and my blanket just like a child. And it's like, leave me alone. I'll come and visit you, but you let you got to let me be me. And uh, I myself deal with seven mental health diagnoses because I just couldn't have one. I had to yeah. have multiples. Why settle for one? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and when depression comes, uh, it was anxiety that m- helped me create a survival kit. That's what I call it. Mm-hmm. And it's just for anxiety, it's like a deep breathing, walking it out, um, um, dancing it out, you know, depending, uh, asking for positive, you know, prayers and thoughts and everything, calling Jesus. So that's for my anxiety. But mm-hmm. I tried to do that with depression and it didn't work. It didn't fit. So I understand when you say you want to take the uh, bet with you because there are days that you just, that's it. You do not want to get up. You know that you have to do stuff. You know that you have people that love you. You know that what is in your head is not real, but at the moment it feels a hundred percent. So then I learned that my survival kit for depression is then feeling the feelings, you know, because one time I scared myself because I cry so much. And then at the end of the crying, I just laugh my ass off. Excuse my yeah. language. No, no. <laughs> because I was just like, oh, I survived that. I literally thought that I was going to die from crying so much that I couldn't. It hurt so bad. And then at the end of it, I just laugh so hard because I was fighting it so long. Because I thought that by crying, like something was going to happen, especially in my family, it acts like you're just going to break apart if you're crying. And it's a sign of weakness, depending on the family member, (laughs) Uh, because for my immediate family of mom and dad, crying is a superpower. So I appreciate the way that I was raised, because now I can put that in my survival kit. Of like, oh, depression come in. I need to feel the feelings and all of that. I love the male perspective and the parent perspective because life does changes. And I I, I used to allow myself in my 20s to keep the pity party and depression mode for like, not allow myself, but pretty much be in it 100%. Mm-hmm. as of now in my 30s that I'm the male lady during the day a podcaster at night and I got seven people in my household it's more of like okay well you got a time you you're gonna have an hour of like you're gonna feel the feelings and whatever and journaling helps for my depression to get those feelings out do you have a, like some type of survival kid when that season comes 
You know, I do, I do journal and I do walk. Those are two things that I feel are incredibly helpful whenever that feeling comes up, but also feeling the feelings. I, it's absolutely something. And it it is something that I struggle with because of the societal norms and the cultural norms as well. I mean, I grew up in a family where it wasn't that we were supposed to hide our feelings by any means. It's just that we showed love and we showed happiness and we showed care differently, but not once did we ever really, when I was little, not once did we ever really talk about how, you know, feeling big, bad, well, bad, not really bad, but feeling those strong negative, let's say emotions are also healthy until I was about 12 or 13. And I had kind of my first say mental health day. And I remember it so vividly because I woke up late and I was like, I need to go to school. But it was already like an hour past when I should be at school. And my mom said, no, you're having a mental health day today. She took the day off. She didn't wake me up, even though my brother and my sister went and I somehow slept through them when they're like bulls in a china shop in the morning. Somehow they woke up and I didn't even notice. So I didn't go to school and we hung out and we just had, you know, a fun, nice day of doing nothing, ice cream and pizza and all that. But it was the first time I heard mental health day and it was the first time I really understood taking myself away from the pressures of things, including the pressures of how I'm feeling, right? And that that need to be masculine or that need to not cry or whatever, whatever, whatever. And and then the movement, I realize also the movement just helps. Like I need to move, I need to walk, uh, I need to put my thoughts down on paper. And that's why I journal every morning, right? Even if it's just here are four things that I am grateful for today. Here are a list of things like the direction I want to go in life. Here's four things or et cetera. But again, with, with my depression, it always comes back to that problem of motivation when it gets really bad, right? Because when you're feeling low and I don't, when you don't want to get out of the bed, how can I get myself to even write four things that I'm grateful for? Or how can I get myself to even go on a walk when, I don't even want to put on pants. Yeah. And I do lo- I do not live in a neighborhood where you can walk outside without pants on. I d- I have lived in neighborhoods. <laughs> not currently. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like if I was still in San Francisco, totally fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll fit in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. Yep. Same over here. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Do you want to share a little bit more of uh your writing journey? You know, from twenties to now present. Yeah, I mean, it, my writing journey has definitely become more difficult as opposed to easier. I would say only because of the time constraints, right? But I figured out new ways. I mean, that's the thing. You have to adapt to. If you want to do something, you have to adapt to to the way to do it. And so during COVID, when things were locked down and I had lost my my main travel writing job, because who's gonna nobody could travel during COVID, so nobody cares about reading about traveling. I was working, I was like piecemealing together six different writing jobs. So all day I'm just writing, writing, writing for different things. And then uh at the end of the day, I just didn't have it in me to write anything. But a friend of mine was like, oh, I'm doing this, this writing group and we're only doing like 10 minute writes and then talking about it. But if I write with you too, then I'll get 
extra time and extra eyes on it. So I'm like, great. Yeah, I can do 10 minutes. That's fine. And then two weeks later, she's like, okay, so now we're going to do an hour. And I was like, no, no, I will still do 10 minutes. And that kind of became a way that I was able to reconnect with my writing. 10 minutes, six days or seven days a week. And that's all it took. Because in that time, I didn't have the ability to, or I didn't have the time really to sit there and, and worry about what I'm going to write. I didn't have the time to go back and edit and fix things and be like, well, this isn't right. Uh, and so I'll just change this. So I, I had to focus. I only had 10 minutes. So I had to focus. What do I want to say in this chapter? or in this story, what's happening at this moment with this character, maybe I'll have a prompt like, oh, a character goes to a diner and sees a flash of light. You know, what happens? So and that would keep me moving. But 10 minutes was it was just perfect. Like my daughter, I put my daughter to bed. Uh, it was in between time. So I was like, my daughter's in bed, I have 10 minutes, maybe 20 if I'm feeling lucky. And then I go and hang out with my wife. Uh, and, and we can have our, you know, and, and we can have our time together. So if I tried to do any more, it became so much pressure, right? Like giving myself an hour. I don't have an hour. I'm too tired for an hour. Uh, it's already 10 o'clock. Do I really want to be up to 11 o'clock writing and then still have to do my whole bedtime routine and then feel anxious and not be able to get to sleep or take 10 minutes at nine o'clock at night and get it done. Mm -hmm. I still have time to watch a half hour TV or an hour TV or whatever it is we're going to do together before I go to bed. So my writing journey has been very different. Again, in your 20s, things are different. Your life is different. You might not have a full-time job, or if you do, you might be, you have more energy to have a full-time job and then have happy hour with friends and then still write for two hours at the night before you get up all over again. I mean, everybody's sleep schedule is different. In my 20s, my sleep schedule, I, I could write till three or four o'clock in the morning and then get up and at nine or 10 or whatever, even no though big deal. Yeah, no problem. There's no problem. Grab a Red Bull and you're fine. Now, if I have a Red Bull, I'm up for three days and then oh I crash. Like there's no, there's no way, no way. But, but I found what works for me now and my lifestyle now. And that's the point. You just kind of have to figure out for writing, just like your, your kind of, uh, I can't remember what you call it. You didn't call it your emergency kit, but you survival kit survival kit yes. I was like, yeah exactly better right uh, just like that <laughs> you, you have to figure you have to play with what works for you specifically mm -hmm. what works for me doesn't work for everybody maybe somebody doesn't want 10 minutes they need that 10 minutes to get warmed up or maybe somebody doesn't like I also like movement that movement that helps me with my depression yeah. it also helps spark my creativity so walking around going on a hike being in nature even sitting under a tree can help if if I need to spark creativity. I was I was in Hawaii, gratefully with my family. We had this lovely family trip, and it was there was just so much so different that I'm walking around. And I get this great idea for it was a mix of being in Hawaii and my daughter, who's four, said this random thing while playing, and she said, "Oh, um, this is a rainbow farmer." And you need to garden the rainbows. And I was like, oh, that's a story. Okay. So it's like, that's a story that I will be writing. And I, and while I was there being around nature and watching the water and seeing waterfalls, I'm like, I know exactly how the story needs to go. And I just need to put it all together. But it just, whatever works for you, whatever sparks your imagination, whatever gets you moving, whatever gets you out of your funk, whatever gets you connected to emotionally. There's this great book. I don't want to. I want to plug my book, but unfortunately, this book is so much better than mine, but it's also nonfiction and it's called Your Brain on Art. And I just read it. Okay. 
And it is, it, it talks a lot about how art in any facet, uh, doing ceramics and using your hands, writing, painting, whatever it is, uh, helps so many people with mental challenges or difficulties or learning challenges, people who learn differently, people who have emotional disparities, whatever it is, because it takes you away. It kind of uses a different part of your brain, but then it connects all the synapses. Read the, it's, it's amazing. I mean, they go into deep dives of, of what it is, but it's still accessible and approachable. And I mm -hmm. was just hooked. It's, I read it, I listened on audiobook and it was a great audiobook listen. Um, and I just zoomed through it. But it, that's what writing does for me is it really helps ground me and gives me that creative freedom where I'm not beating myself up because I've done it enough where I'm not beating myself up about this chapter doesn't work or this character wouldn't do that because I know I'll, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to fix it. I love that. And I love just um, the writer's mind and all the different types of writing. Yeah. you know and the styles and when we're talking about you know you doing fiction i mean i i just love it is there anything else that you would like my listeners to know about you yeah i'm i'm really active on linkedin and on instagram come find me douglas weissman uh on linkedin i'm douglas weissman storyteller so you can't really ignore me or or mistake me for somebody else either um i do have again life between seconds coming out in paperback early next year. I also have another book coming back, coming out early next year. The release date isn't official yet, but uh, it's called Girl in the Ashes. And it's about a serial killer in World War II Paris. So there's a lot of fun there to be had. <laughs> I like that. That's different. <laughs> yeah, right. It's I, There's a lot of jokes in the writer circle of Instagram where mm -hmm. it's like, the FBI knocks on your door. You're like, why have you been looking at uh, researching how to murder somebody and hide the body? It's like, I'm a writer. That's I mean, yeah, yeah. I will say with that book, your research had to be yeah. pretty interesting. Right. It's on one on one moment. It's like, oh, what kind of cheese were they eating in Paris during uh, in 1940? And then the other one was like, how does a serial killer dispose of a body without anybody noticing? <laughs> really diverse really diverse searches on google i love it i love it i love it <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the show again <laughs> it was my pleasure i had just as much fun this time as the first time so i did but i'm really happy with this setup i got to know you more and your journey in every single level traveling as a book writer uh you know so and your mental health journey so thank you for being vulnerable with us and sharing your story too as well oh thanks for letting me share it i know for me if i had access to this when i was younger just understanding that i wasn't alone that other people were going through it uh, it would have meant a lot more to me than thinking I was an outcast. I was weird. Uh, and that only other weirdos, right, were, were going through the same thing. So, oh, my God, you're going to make me cry on that one, because that's exactly, you know, why I started the podcast is for that version of me that was in the room that they didn't want to come out because for the uh, for the past decade it was depression and depression I treated her as my best friend 
it was when anxiety showed up that I was like, oh no, we got to do something about this because I don't like this. You know, I was just having a party with <laughs> depression, like it was no big deal. But when anxiety showed up and then I learned about uh, anger issues and things like that, I was like, whoa, hold up. So then that's when I did all this stuff. And now I just want to bring people in with different perspective and different lifestyles and different things that they struggle or that they haven't struggled but that they have tools and resources you know because it's just a roadmap my survival kit might not be for you but you can create your own survival kit yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly yes so well thank you so much ah! <laughs> no thank you i loved it thanks again uh, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Life with Francie podcast. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. You can find my show in all major platforms as well as my YouTube channel. On the show notes, you will find the links for my guests as well as mine. Awesome way to support us is to uh, follow, like, subscribe, depending on the app. And if you would like to help the show, you can leave a review to help others find it. Thank you so much. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.